This morning we continue in our series, Disciple. And we began last week talking about the purpose of the kingdom of God. What is God up to? You know, like what is he trying to do? What is he doing on this earth today while you and I go about our daily lives? We talked about the purpose of God's kingdom uh, was, could be explained like this. Jesus said in Matthew 13, verse 31, here's another illustration Jesus used. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field. It's the smallest of all seeds, but it becomes the largest of garden plants. And it grows into a tree that birds can come and nest in its branches. If you were here at the second service, somebody had some uh, mustard seeds in their purse, came, showed me some after the first service, and I had about 30 in this little bag that I held up. It's a mustard seed. Jesus said the kingdom of God can be compared to a mustard seed, and it's planted, although it's so small, it grows up to the point that birds can come and land in this plant and build nests. And it's an illustration, and it's a, it's a lesson of the purpose of God's kingdom. Although it starts so small and it seems so insignificant, by the time it grows and it has its total completed work, it'll influence the entire world. Amen? It'll reach every community and every city all over the globe. And we talked about about God's strategy of of influencing. You know, whenever you think about, about God's purpose, he started with 12 disciples. And we talked about the strategy God uses to be able to influence the whole globe. It's like the yeast in the, in the, in the, in the loaf of bread. Although it seems so insignificant, you can't see it, but it affects the entire loaf. How many of you know that the gospel is going out to the highways and the byways in the remote parts of the earth? And it's going all over. Even this morning, as I'm talking to you, people are preaching the gospel everywhere and people are sharing Jesus everywhere. And there's more and more people that are getting converted to Christianity. And the kingdom of God is continuing to explode and to influence the entire world and the entire globe. And so we learn that the strategy God is using to do that is individual disciples within the body of Christ. Disciples are those key players that God uses to spread his word, to spread his gospel. You know, he doesn't have no, no great governmental system or, or no, you know, other, no highfalutin uh, strategy. I'll tell you what he has. He has grassroots disciples all over the globe that he is sowing his message into them. And then they in turn are taking that message and bringing it out to others. Amen. And the entire world can be reached simply by using the influence of his disciples. And then think about this. It started with, he picked 12, but ended up with 11. That's how it all started. It was a mustard seed. Now it is believed that there's over a billion Christians on the globe. And I think there's about 7 billion in the world. So we got some work to do. Amen. But I tell you, there is great power and influence in one disciple. Now, last week we showed you this little video. I want to show it to you again because I want this, this picture to get etched in your spirit so that you get a picture of what we're talking about and where we're trying to go with this sermon series. The domino effect is a chain reaction that occurs when a small action causes a reaction nearby. The sum of these movements amounts to something much greater than the initial reaction. 
The energy created by the first domino travels through all of the other dominoes in order to accomplish the effect. Each domino relies upon the one before it to transfer the energy. Did you know that the seat in this church you are sitting in is there because there were people that came before you and they used their energy, their efforts, and their money in order to fuel a movement? Each individual understood that the sum of their actions together would create a chain reaction that would impact lives for eternity, that would restore broken families, that would save people from death and bring them to life, that would bring hope to the hopeless, and so much more. Think about it this way. Think about the people in your life that spent their energy in order to create a positive reaction in your life. Was it a parent, a friend, a pastor? The thing about the domino effect is this. It only takes one domino to start the effect, but it only takes one domino to stop it. It only takes one domino to start the effect, and it only takes one domino to stop the effect. The power of a disciple. I was just thinking while that video was was playing, I was just thinking about Brother Francis and Miss Babs. Years ago, Brother Francis and Miss Babs said yes to the call of God, and they began the work of Family Life Church, 1980. So when you think about that, that's what, 33 years ago. And we have pews to sit on this morning. We have a a campus to enjoy because of the faithful service of Brother Francis and Miss Babs. And I think they deserve to be honored for that. Amen. Thank God for their service and their work. The very last command Jesus gave his followers before he left the earth was go and make disciples. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, he said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. That's why some people don't like to fly because they, Jesus said, lo, I am with you always. But the very last thing Jesus told, he instructed his disciples was, go and make disciples in one city. No, he said, go and make disciples. How far? In all nations. Of all nations. In other words, don't stop till every place on the globe has been affected. This is known as the Great Commission. He commissioned the disciples to go do this work that he was calling them to do. And somebody said, you know, this was his last command. And his last command should be the church's first priority. Because everything you tell somebody, the last thing you tell them is very important. Right? Just before you walk out of the house, hopefully you say to your spouse, I love you. Most important, right? So Jesus said to the disciples, if you remember anything that I taught you over the years, this is what I don't want you to forget about. 
go and make disciples. It should be the church's first priority. Now, the important point to note here is notice that the scripture does not say, Jesus never said, go and make Christians. He never said, go and make Christians. And this morning, I just want to just camp right there for a little bit, because I think in our world, in our society, you know, Christianity, sometimes it's become like, a, you know, like just a fad or just like a statement. You know, like we'll wear the shirt with a little fish on it. Put a little bumper sticker. You know, we'll wear the little bracelet, WWJD. A little ring with a cross on it. So Jesus wasn't saying, go and make Christians, because in our society today, whenever you ask people, are you a Christian? Everybody's a Christian. We just got to identify and we got to redefine what a Christian is. Amen. Because I don't believe it's the idea and the definition of our society today of what the Lord meant that we would influence the entire world. You see, it's not professing Christians that will change the world. It's true disciples that will change the world. Amen. Are y'all with me? And so what we have to identify is, you know, listen, Am I a Christian or am I a disciple? And what I want to encourage you is don't be satisfied to just be called a Christian. Because they got people that live like there's no God on the the globe that calls themselves Christians. So you got to separate yourself from that pack. You gotta, you gotta separate yourself from the, from the, the opinion of a Christian. And we gotta just, Become what the Lord wants us to be. He's calling us to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. Come on, are y'all with me out there? So then the question is, what's the difference between a disciple, what our society calls a, or what's the difference between a Christian, as our society calls it, and a disciple? What's the difference? Well, I think we can allow the scripture to answer that question and describe for us what a disciple really is. Because if you take the time to read the Gospels, you will, you will clearly see what Jesus had in mind when he said, this is a disciple of mine. Amen. Are y'all willing? So let's look at seven marks of a true disciple of Christ. Number one, the first mark of a true disciple is they love Jesus more than anyone or anything else. They love Jesus more than anything. Look at what he said in Luke 14 and verse 26. If you want to be my, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. Now, when you read that, it's like, what? I got to hate my mom and dad to be a disciple? No, you know, the word hate there, it doesn't mean to harbor hatred or anger towards someone else as we would think it to mean. It simply means to love less than others. Love less than others. So if you want to be my disciple, Jesus was saying, you have to hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, and yes, even your own life. 
And so a paraphrased version is, if you want to be a disciple of Jesus, you must love everyone less in comparison to how much you love Jesus. Your love for Jesus has to be greater than your love for your father. It has to be greater than your love for your mother. Is this a hard saying? You have to love Jesus more than you love your spouse. More even than you love your children. You have to love Jesus more than you love your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? To be a true disciple, your love for Jesus has to be the preeminent affection of your life. It has to be number one. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 or Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, if you love your father and mother more than you love me, you are not worthy of being mine. Or if you love your son or your daughter more than me, you are not worthy of being mine. See, the difference between so-called Christians and true disciples, according to Jesus, is disciples love Jesus more than anything else in the world. Am I right? Oh, am I right? Reading that right. Amen. It's getting quiet in here already. Come on. Say amen. Help me out here. Amen. So Christians, listen, they like Jesus just like they like other things in life. But a true disciple loves Jesus. He don't just like him. He loves him. Disciples love Jesus more than anything. How were the early disciples able to turn the world upside down? How were they able to do it? Because they loved Jesus so much that they were willing to lay down their lives to please him. That's how they made such an impact. And so I think today, how is the local church going to impact our community and our society? It's going to take us moving from so-called Christianity into the discipleship mode. Amen? We got to move out of the, the, the casual Christian mode and get full on as a disciple of Christ. Amen. When I think about Stephen, Stephen loved Jesus so much that he was willing to die for the sake of the gospel. He was willing to die for the sake of doing what the father wanted him to do. You know, he was preaching, he was sharing the gospel and they tried to shut him down. They tried to shut him up. And so rather than than do what they wanted to, what they wanted him to do. He was willing even to lay down his life. The Bible says in Acts, let me just read. I want you to see this picture of the early church. We got to go back to the early church and get a picture of what true Christianity is all about. Let's look at Acts chapter seven. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you got your iPad, iPhone, Android, you know, satellite, whatever, just use it. Acts chapter 7, listen to this. Listen, Acts chapter 7 and verse 54. Now, when they heard this, let's stop. Remember, let me go back for just a moment. When, When Stephen was beginning to fulfill the call of God, there's great opposition that came up against him, right? And so Stephen began to talk to them and tell them why, uh, who Jesus was and all this. And they came, they greatly opposed him. Verse 54, when they had heard this, they were cut to the quick and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing in the right hand of God. 
Now, I heard somebody mention about this that, you know, Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession. But when Stephen was standing there preaching the gospel and his life was on the line, the Bible says that the heaven was open and the Son of Man was standing at the right hand of God. And then verse 57, they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Now this young man named Saul is who we know as Paul. This was before he was converted. Verse 59. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. They stoned him to death. Verse uh, Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul, who is Paul now, who got converted to Paul, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. Philip in Samaria... Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. So they're putting people to death. They're putting people in prison for preaching the gospel. But yet, they kept preaching the gospel. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice. And many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in the city. You see what's going on? They're preaching the gospel and they're getting imprisoned. They're getting killed. They're getting stoned to death for preaching the gospel. But they didn't stop. They kept on going. Stephen stood there, got stoned. The apostle Paul is watching. As Stephen loves Jesus even to the point that he lays down his life. Stephen is so touched in his heart at what he sees. He can't deny the conviction of the spirit that's working. And he later on has the, 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 the experience on the road to Damascus. Gets supernaturally born again and becomes a flaming fiery preacher for God. And the gospel spreads like wildfire. Wow. I think that's what you call loving Jesus. Amen. Don't you agree? So you could see that it was the disciples' love for Jesus, their love that went above and beyond anything else in their life that began influencing and turning the world upside down. So the number one sign or mark of a disciple is they don't just like Jesus enough to like maybe go to church every once in a while. They love Jesus so much that they're willing to even put their life on the line to please him. How many of you know that's a different picture of what Christianity is supposed to be than what we know of it now, right? Amen. Are y'all with me out there? The second mark of a true disciple is they're willing to submit and follow his instru- the instruction of God's word. Look at John 8, 31, 30. 
31 and 33. So Jesus was saying to those who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So what Jesus was saying that I tell you what a disciple is, they just somebody that has a Bible in their possession. It might be on the coffee table. It might be on their nightstand next to their bed. They just have a Bible somewhere around. In fact, it might be on their glove compartment in their car. That's a, that's a disciple, right? Is that what Jesus said? No, what did Jesus say? Jesus said, if you continue in my what? My word, then you are truly disciples of mine. So there are disciples and then there are truly disciples. And true disciples are those that continue. Continue means to abide, to dwell, to endure, to remain and stand on God's word. See, so it's not just Christianity is not going to church. Christianity is somebody that abides in God's word, that continues in God's word, that remains in God's word. You see, there are people that get disappointed with church. They come to church and they say, well, you know what? It didn't really do that much for me. Well, all you're supposed to get when you come to church is instructions on how to live your life throughout the week. So don't come to church and say it didn't make any difference. If you don't grab your Bible and start to remain in the word of God throughout the week, because that's a true disciple. So move out of the casual Christianity and move into discipleship. Get in the word of God. And I promise you one thing, the word of God will begin setting in your heart and it'll begin changing your life and your life will be radically changed. Amen. Come on. Are y'all with me out there? So listen, John 8, 31, if you abide in my word, the Amplified says, if you hold fast to my teachings and live in accordance with them and you are truly, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. So listen, the mark of a true disciple is they're willing to not just learn the word, but they're willing to submit to the teachings of the Bible and they do their best to follow its instructions. So listen, a Christian you know, the, the world's definition of Christian is they're willing to listen and, and even learn the word. But a true disciple is not just willing to learn, but he's willing to follow and obey the word. See the difference? There are a lot of people that know the word. They can quote you scripture. You know, I told you the story when I first got saved, I had a lost guy that was making fun of me and, and he was aggravating me and I was wanting to punch him out and I had that posture. And he said, hey man, I thought a, I thought a Christian is supposed to turn the other cheek. Hmm. I remembered reading that in the Bible and it's like, he's right. He knew the word, he just wasn't willing to follow it. He wasn't willing to obey it. So you see the difference between the world's definition of Christianity and Jesus' definition of a disciple as they continue in the word of God. See, a Christian is willing to listen and learn the word. Oh yeah, tell me about the word. But a true disciple, they want to get beyond just listening and they want to get beyond just learning. They want to figure out how to do the word. They want to figure out a way to obey the word. Come on, are y'all with me out there? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? That's the question we're trying to answer today. So a mark of a disciple is they are a student of God's word. Amen. What message has the power to transform people, communities, nations? What message? 
Isn't it the gospel message? It's the gospel message. Jesus said, it's the truth that will set you free. Remember when Peter, he stood up. Remember the day of Pentecost, the spirit of God fell. People were praying in untoned tongues. Some people were standing around saying, these people are drinking and it's only 10 o'clock in the morning. They must be winos. They're drinking already. And Peter stood up. What did he tell him? His opinion? No, he stood up and you know what he did? He preached the message of God's word. Remember that? Acts chapter 2 and verse 14, Peter, taking a stand with the 11, raised his voice and he declared to them, men of Judea and you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you, give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk as you suppose, for it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel, and it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. See, Peter preached the message of the word of God. Listen, it's the message of the word of God that has the ability to transform people's lives. Am I right? Is this right, brothers and sisters? It's the message. So listen, we need to come back to the basics of Christianity and get back to the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Come on. I think even in church, we do people a disservice. We might throw a little portion of scripture out there and say a lot of mumble jumbo. But listen, all my words are just a bunch of noisy clangs and clanging cymbals. It's the word of God that will set you free. It's the word of God that will make a difference in your life. Amen. So if you could just get a hold of the gospel, it will penetrate you. Now, Peter preached the message of the word of God. And whenever he preached it, verse 37 says, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent each of you and be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Where did he get that message to tell them to repent? He got it from his master, Jesus, right? And in Acts chapter 2, look at the effects. So then those, verse 41, those who received his word were baptized that day. They were added about 3,000 souls. So you can see that, listen, listen, if we're going to change our community, first we have to embrace the message. No, no, first we need to love Jesus more than anything else. Secondly, we need to embrace the message. Jesus only has one message. It's the gospel. Right? There's not, there's, there's many books within the Bible, but there's only one book. There's only one gospel and that's the gospel we need to embrace and we need to adhere to. And not only that, but we need to share. See, listen, whenever you're talking to people that are lost, whenever you're talking to people that are having problems, don't just tell them what makes them feel good. Don't just tell them what you believe. You find a verse in the Bible. You find a chapter and a verse and you share with them the truth of God's word. And if they will heed the truth of God's word, God's word will break demonic powers off their life and will totally change them and set them free. Amen? Amen. So a disciple is not just somebody, anybody. It's one that heeds and follows the word of God. Mark number three of a true disciple is they learn to overcome self and selfishness. Luke chapter nine and verse 23, he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower or disciple, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily and follow me. 
You must turn from your selfish ways. In other words, you need to overcome self and selfishness. I think that more people can get saved in Acadiana if we Family Life Church can do our best to overcome our self and our selfishness. Amen? Amen. Why? Why is it so important to overcome self and selfishness? Well, it's our fleshly desires that keep us from living a godly, spirit-filled life, right? The flesh and the spirit war. And so the more we're willing to deny ourselves, the Bible says in Galatians 5, 16, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. You won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the spirit wants. And the spirit gives us desires that are opposite of what the sinful nature desires, these are two forces that are constantly fighting each other so that you, you're not free to carry out your good intentions. So listen, there's always that draw of the Spirit in us to do the work of God, to do the will of God. But there's always our flesh that fights the drawing of the Spirit of God that don't wants to do that. And the more we're willing to deny ourselves, to quit being selfish and, 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 just, uh, and just feeding our flesh, the more we're going to be able to do something for God. Amen? And so that's why Jesus said, you must turn from your selfish ways if you want to be my disciple. But so it's our fleshly desires that need to be killed, but it's also, it's our selfishness that keeps us from sacrificing and serving those around us. You know, listen, in church, 20% of the people do 80% of the work. Why? Because they got 80%. Typically, 80% of the people in church are too dominated by their flesh and by their self to get busy and do something in the house of God. Isn't that true? Now, let me encourage you a little bit. We just doing the math and we got way more than 20% of the people in Family Life Church that are involved. We figure it out and it's probably closer to 50%. Amen? So let me encourage you a little bit. But isn't this true? Then listen, you know, who wants to jump up? And say, y'all sit down at the table. I will serve y'all. No, we like to say, man, let me have a place at the table. Serve me, man. Can you tie this bib around my neck right here so I don't spill on my brand new shirt? In fact, to make sure I don't spill, instead of me having to feed myself, why don't you feed me? Why don't you feed me, man? It's easy just to get fed. Come on, some more. Give me another message. Give me another word. Oh, come on, give me a word. That's not what's going to change the world. What's going to change the world is people that are willing to not be a casual Christian, but to be a disciple that is saying, listen, I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to deny myself. And I'm willing to do what God wants me to do. Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28, for even the Son of Man, He could be served. He deserved to be served. But even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve others and give His life as a ransom for many. Amen? So listen, to me, whenever I think about this, the difference between a so-called Christian and a disciple is somebody that's willing to get beyond from being a church pew sitter and is willing to roll up his sleeves and say, let me do something for God. Let me go help somebody. Let me go serve somebody. Let me turn on the lights. Let me clean up the floor. Let me help that child. Let me do something for the kingdom of God. And I want to make a difference for him. Amen. 
Mark number four of a true disciple. They completely embraced the Father's will. Look what Jesus said in Luke 9, 23. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways and take up your cross daily and follow me. Take up your cross. Let's camp out there. Take up your cross. A disciple is somebody who takes up his cross. Now, when you think of taking up your cross, what comes to mind? What is the picture you get when you get a, when you think about taking up your cross? Don't you think about Jesus right there? Well, let me help you. Think about Jesus right here. Amen. Taking up the cross is a picture of sacrificing your will and agenda in life to do the Father's will and His agenda. Remember whenever Jesus came to the place where he had to make a decision of taking up the cross? Man, did he want to take up that cross? The answer is a thousand times, no. He didn't want to take up that cross. He knew what was coming. And he agonized in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, you know what, Lord, is there plan B? Is there anything else? Can you give me another option, Lord? Can you give me option B? I'm really having a tough time with option A. I mean, I'm used to saying, hey, go die. Jesus had, had a problem with even his will being laid down for the cause of the Father. But you know what? It's doing what God wants you to do that is really the mark of a true disciple. The mark of a true disciple is somebody that does the will of God. Listen what Jesus said in John 5.30. I can do nothing on my own initiative as I hear I judge and my judgment is just because I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So listen, Jesus was willing to give his life in an effort to do the Father's will. He was able to, he was willing to give all. Now, the question I have to ask myself is what am I willing to give up to do the Father's will? What am I willing to sacrifice to do the Father's will? Because how many of you know that there's no way that Todd can do his will and God's will at the same time? One of them is going to have to take second place. One of them is going to have to take the second. He's going to have to get in the back seat. But whenever I'm willing to do God's will, that's where God is going to use me to make a difference. Listen, whenever you're willing to do whatever it takes to not do your will, but to do the will of God, as hard as it may be, as much as it might kill your flesh, that's where God's going to begin to use you to influence other people. Amen? Paul was willing to give up his life in an effort to do God's will. Remember, remember, I just, is it okay for me to read another passage of scripture here? I just wanted you to get the New Testament picture. In Acts chapter 21, Paul is preaching. He's converted. They they were accused of turning the world upside down. That's how much of an impact they were having. They were making an impact. But they were greatly opposed. And their life was in jeopardy. They, their, their life, their safety was in jeopardy every day that they went out and did the will of God. And so in Acts chapter 21, and verse 7, when he had finished a voyage from Tyre, we arrived at, at Ptolemus. And after greeting the brethren, we stayed with them for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea. And entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, we stayed with him. Now, this man had four virgin daughters who were prophetess. 
As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea and coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands. And he said, this is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. Now, what he's saying is, who owns this belt? Paul, that's you, right? See, I'm tying my hands and my feet here. That's what's going to happen to you. And they're going to throw you to the lines. It's not good, Paul. Don't go over there. That's what he's saying, right? Verse 12, when we heard this, we as well as the local residents began begging him not to go up to Jerusalem. Paul, don't do it. Don't go, man. Verse 13, and Paul answered, what are you doing weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, the will of the Lord be done. Come on, is that a powerful story right there? I mean, here he is. He's got a prophetic word that comes to him and say, Paul, if you go do what you think God's will is, you're going to die. And everybody's crying, please, Paul, we love you. Don't go. And he says, hey, y'all, in my paraphrase version, y'all be quiet. Y'all stop all the whipping and whining and crying. Stop all that mess. I'm ready to go to Jerusalem if I got to be bound up. I'm ready to go and die if I got to because I'm here to do the will of God. Come on. What about it, saints of God? What about if we willing just to pray over our food and could care less whether our boss has something to say about it? What if we willing to just stand up and not go along with the crowd of those that are hecklers and those that are of the antichrist and we just stand up and say, yes, for me in my house, I serve Jesus and you can do what you want to me, but I'm going to live for God. I'm thinking they might be somebody in the corner that's watching what's going on and they may just come to you after this little uh, little thing has happened and say, man, are you a follower of Jesus? I've been wanting to know how to go the way of the Lord. Would you help me? And another disciple will come to Christ. Come on, are y'all hearing me out there? Come on, the church of God is a big army of God that needs to just wake up, amen? We're like, a, some, like, like, like uh, Ezekiel said, sometimes it might be like just a valley of dry bones, but whenever the word of the Lord comes and the, and the word and the spirit of God comes, all of a sudden the dry bones become a mighty army that go into the highways and byways of Lafayette and Kaplan and Erath and Bro Bridge and Cecilia and Opelousas and Karen Crow, and we're going to go out throughout this community and make a difference for Jesus Christ. Come on. Are y'all with me out there? Come on. We got to be disciples. Amen. The mark of a true disciple is they're willing to completely embrace the father's will, no matter the cost. The fifth mark of a true disciple is they walk in obedience to the Lord. Luke nine twenty three. Then he said to the crowd, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must turn from his selfish ways, take up your cross daily And follow me. Follow me gives the notion of obedience. Obedience to the one being followed. As a student obediently follows his teacher. If I say to you, follow me, the only way that you will follow me is you got to be willing to submit your will to 
my requests for you to follow me. It's the only way it'll happen. A disciple is somebody who is willing to submit to the Father's call, come and follow me. So then the question has to be, follow you where? I have to be willing to submit. It's a walk of obedience. And so Peter was willing to obey the Lord's instructions. Paul was willing to obey the Lord's instructions. That's why they began to turn the world upside down. Remember, in Acts chapter 5, the Bible says, Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priests. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Now they were told not to teach, but the Lord said, go and teach, go and preach the gospel in all the world. And so verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than man. And so listen, sometimes we have Sanhedrin around us that say, don't obey God. Don't obey God. Don't obey God. I know what you're supposed to be doing, but you don't have to do that. Why would you want to be a full-on disciple of Jesus? Come on, just cave in. Be a Be a a weakling and disobey God. Ah, not Peter. He said, we must obey God rather than man. Now, this is the only time in the Bible that the Bible tells you to disobey leaders. All other times he says, submit to those that are leaders over you. It's the only time that you see in the scripture to disobey. But the only reason why there was disobedience, because they had made a decision, they were going to walk in obedience to God. Listen, some people have left high paying jobs because they were asked to do something that was in direct opposition and in disobedience to what God wanted them to do. And in their conscience, they could not do it. They said, listen, I am going to walk in obedience. If I got to go and eat cornbread, if I got to, if I got to sweep the crumbs under the table of somebody else, I'm going to obey God regardless of the cost. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. And that's what Jesus is saying. Take up your cross and follow me. See, Think about following Jesus. I think it has more ramifications than wearing a Christian t-shirt. I think it has more ramifications than just showing up at church every once in a while. I think it has a whole lot more ramifications than claiming to be a Christian. Amen? Got to follow him. And the more we follow him, the more we'll become like him. And the more we become like him, the more influence we'll have on other people around us. And they won't have to be preached to. They will see Jesus wherever we go. Amen. They will see the gospel as we walk out the gospel. 
in our daily lives. The sixth mark of a true disciple, I'm running out of time here, is they have a special love and affection for the people of God. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I've loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. A true disciple loves to fellowship and hang out with other disciples. See, you know what I notice is that people that are not all the way in, they come to church, but they rather hang around people that are not Christian. But when you're a full-on disciple, you want to be in the environment where you're going to be encouraged in your walk with God. And so a full-on disciple, as he says, hey, they have an affinity. They have an affection for the people of God. That's why, listen, whenever you get out there in the world and you hear people saying, bad-mouthing, criticizing the churches around town, I say, well, you must not read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. Those people that are going to church, that's the bride of Christ. You better get your hand off of God's church. Amen. You better just come on something wrong. You called yourself a Christian, but you hate the people that go hang out together and worship the living God. Come on. Are y'all with me out there? A disciple of Christ is somebody that is willing to get in the midst of the family of God and be a part of them. The bottom line is true disciples love the people and the family of God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2, whenever the church got birth, in verse 42, all the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property, possessions, shared the money to those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day. They met in homes for the Lord's Supper, shared their meals with great joy and generosity while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. See, the result of disciples loving and caring for one another was the Lord added daily those who were being saved. See, listen, in our society today, there's a lot of dysfunction in families, a lot of broken families. You know, there's not the family unit anymore. And our society's trying to redefine that. Family can be anything. It can be five guys. It can be four girls. It can be, you know, it doesn't matter. But the family of God The picture of the family of God is a picture of relational connectedness, faithfulness, and trustworthiness. That people can come into the family of God and they won't be abused, they won't be used, they won't be mistreated, but they'll be loved and cared for. They'll be encouraged, they'll be told the truth in love, but they will also have encouragement Every step of the way, it's in that environment that people can come in and they can get motivated and encouraged to live for Jesus as God begins to work and transform their lives. When a person comes into the family of God, there is everybody in the family adding a little bit, doing a little bit. Somebody gets up here and plays the guitar and encourages them. Somebody sings a song. Somebody helps the sound not hurt their ears. Somebody preaches to them. Somebody takes care of the children. Somebody does something so that they could be encouraged in the faith. They go to a small group and somebody there 
finds out what's really going on, prays with them, just stands with them, walks with them. And day by day, day by day, they begin changed. They begin transformed. They begin to be more like Jesus. The darkness leaves their life. The light comes into their life and their life is transformed. That's how it happens. It's the family of God. But a true disciple has love for one another. They have love for the body of Christ. So I say quit hating on the church. Quit hating on God's people. Start loving God's people. It's God's people. Start loving them. Just remember. Say, well, I don't like some of God's people. Well, just be grateful he liked you. (laughs) Right? That'll help you right there. Amen. Okay, now let me wrap this up. The seventh and final mark of a true disciple is they participate in the mission and purpose of God. John 15, 8, my father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciple. Bearing fruit is a mark of a disciple. What is the fruit that indicates a disciple? When Genesis 1 Verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in the number and fill the earth and subdue it. The purpose and calling of God is that we be fruitful and multiply. Man was created for that. Amen? Amen? Not just in number physically, but also spiritually, right? We are to be fruitful spiritually. So another mark of a true healthy disciple is they reproduce themselves. As somebody said, healthy sheep breed healthy sheep. Healthy sheep, a healthy society is a productive society, is a fruitful society. A healthy sheep should produce more sheep. Jesus created everything with the ability to reproduce itself in its kind. God created the spiritual seed of Christianity in us so that we can reproduce ourselves in its kind. A, a strong disciple should produce a strong disciple. A Christian should produce a Christian. Amen. Amen. Y'all get that picture, saints? You'll get that picture. And so listen, it's not something that I got to sit down and squeeze and try to produce another disciple and strain to be another disciple. It's just something that normally happens as I embrace discipleship and I'm willing to walk with Jesus. Inevitably, what happens is there are people around me that begin to want to serve Jesus because of the influence and the impact of my life. Amen. So listen, in wrapping it up, we're back to where we began this morning. The purpose of the kingdom of God is to influence the entire world by spreading the gospel into every community, in every village and nation on the globe. God's strategy to fulfill that purpose is individual disciples within the body of Christ. It only takes one domino to start the effect. It only takes one domino to stop the effect. And here's the picture. If the church of God embraces what the world is saying, Christianity, the dominoes stop affecting other dominoes and the gospel stops penetrating our society. 
If we embrace discipleship and say, I want to be a full-on, not a somebody that goes to church. I want to be a full-on disciple of Jesus, love his word, lay down my life, be willing to do his will. I want to be somebody that affects another life, that affects another life. And as this thing all unfolds, we're going to stand in heaven on the throne room of God and myriads and myriads of people a, a congregation too numerous to count and we'll sing worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb worthy is the lamb and we'll worship and worship for all eternity and we'll see people on our right and people on our left oh I forgot I witnessed to you I forgot I witnessed to you I forgot you were came to church and got saved praise God now we have all eternity to worship to live together in community and just enjoy the presence of God. Listen, we have one life to live. We only get one chance to spend it for the kingdom and for the glory of God. I say, come on, saints of God. Come on, let's tighten up our belt a little bit. Let's roll up our sleeve a little bit. Come on, let's, let's focus a little more. And come on, let's do this thing. Let's serve Jesus with all that we got. Let's live for God with all that we got. And we're going we're gonna to impact other lives. We're going to change more lives. The kingdom of God is going to keep growing it and laugh at. And whenever it's all done, we will be able to breathe our last and say we've accomplished something for the Lord. Are y'all willing? Are you ready? Come on, you ready to do something for Jesus? Come on, won't you stand with me? Then let's close in prayer. The Bible says in Matthew 22 and 14, for many are invited, the New Living says, or the NIV says, but few are chosen. Many are invited, but few are chosen. Another version says, many are called, but few are chosen. You know what? I don't think that it was ever God's intention to just handpick just a few people to be his disciples. I believe he's called many. But I think when when you talk about few are chosen, there's only a small amount that are willing to lay down their life and willing to embrace the challenging of being a disciple. I want to ask you today, Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? Are you a Christian or are you a disciple? We've been talking about it a little time. How many of you this morning would say, Todd, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be a disciple. Come on, I don't want to be no casual Christian with one leg in, one leg out. I don't want to be a Christian that there's no difference between me and the world. I want to be a full-on disciple of Jesus Christ. How many of you willing? How many of you willing to say, Lord, I'm willing if you help me, I'm willing. If you're willing, I'm, I'm willing. Lord, I don't want to be that domino that stops it. I want to be the domino that keeps it going. Come on, let's just make a commitment today as a church. Come on, let's just go and, and be the disciple. Jesus has called us. And I'll tell you, we won't have enough room in this church to hold them all. We won't have enough room in this building to keep them all because God is going to win the community. Amen. Let's pray together, Father in heaven. I pray for a release of your anointing, a release of your power, a release of your grace. God, give us a hunger. Give us a thirst. Lord God, I pray. Lord, help us today. Give give us fresh fire, fresh passion, fresh hunger, fresh desire, Lord, to be the full-on disciple that you called us to be. Lord Jesus, we pray today that, God, you would stir our hearts. Lord, let our hearts burn within us today. Lord, give us a fresh fire for your word, for your spirit, for your service. Give us a fresh fire to do the will of God, to do the call of God. Lord, deliver us from everything holding us back. Set us free to be the army of God. Lord, 
Awaken the church of God. Awaken the church at Family Life, Lord. Let us be like a mighty army that is released over this community. Lord, that wins our community to Jesus Christ. We pray in the mighty and strong name of Jesus. And everybody that agreed said amen. 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 Praise you, Lord. Praise you. I pray you're motivated to give more to God. Amen.